John is one of the greatest books in the Bible that helps to describe and show God's love, what it's like, uh, what he's done, and what it means for us today. So we're going to be looking at the second uh, passage in 1 John. Hear the word of the Lord. This is the message we have heard from him, from Christ, and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. The word of the Lord. Well, amidst all the things that are going on in the news right now, it seems like there's a ton of things going on. We have these issues with the National Security uh, Association agency, Snowden, this guy who's left, and we've got Benghazi, and we've got some Supreme Court things, but there's the most important thing going on is Project Shield. Anybody heard of Project Shield? I will give someone a free tropical smoothie if they can tell me what Project Shield is and define it. You're kidding. This is big. This is in Congress. It's the secure, high-voltage infrastructure for electricity from Lethal Damage Act. The Shield Act. You're not with me, are you? Anybody see C-SPAN here? Here's what this is all about. You know, it's one of those things where you're like, ah, I'm just paying attention to that. It's about solar flares. And what they're discovering is, you know, with one solar flare that hits us in the wrong way, and literally our entire country is out of business. Because a solar flare puts out what's called an EMP, an electromagnetic pulse, and it literally fries all your electronics. And they've done some analysis on this, and they've discovered, you know, if we had an EMP that, that, that ruined the, our electrical infrastructure, 90% of America would be dead in 12 months. You know, if you wanted more bad news, you got it right there, huh? It's the things you don't know that will kill you. You know, and they kill, it kills you the old-fashioned way. Starvation, you know, those type of things. And so there's this specter on the horizon. You know, in, in 1859, it actually happened in the United States. There was a pulse, and it literally fried our, our uh, telegraph infrastructure. Now, obviously, that was a big problem, but not like it is right now, where everything is controlled by computers. And so what it is is this just massive burst of light, of radiation from the sun that comes and fries everything. Everything is changed. And so basically what they're saying is if we invest $2 billion, we can go ahead and create technology to back up the main generators in the United States so that if the whole thing goes down, we can bring our electrical grid back up. You know, you never thought that light could destroy, did you? Light is a powerful thing. It brings heat, too much heat, and we're in trouble. You know, here's a picture of how amazing God is. Because of the way that our sun sits on its axis, if it was one degree to the right, we would burn up. And if it was one degree to the left, we'd freeze to death. You need just the right amount of light. And so this light in the solar flare can bring death. But light also brings life, doesn't it? It purifies. It sterilizes. That's why people bring things out into the light. The things that grow, the mold and bacteria, grows in the darkness. 
light, of course, brings creation. The universe was brought into existence from light. But what this passage is telling us, this letter is telling us, that light, a light of the magnitude of the creative light, the pulse of creation, has come again. That this light has come a second time. And it has come to change everything. In the same way as this solar flare, this light that has come, has changed everything. Nothing will ever be the same. In fact, it's changing and happening right now. And the question that we have to ask ourselves and that the writer is asking us is, how are you to respond to this light? Because this light, which is so powerful, too powerful to be ignored, will either bring life or it will bring death. To respond to the light shows our future. Promise or failure. See, because there's been such a radical light that has shined, it demands a radical response. To respond to the radical light means a life lived in radical obedience. This is the first part we're going to talk about. A radical obedience. The second we're going to talk about is a radical love. This light that has come, its response must be a radical love. And the final point, that this light that has come, this radical light, must provoke a radical repentance. It's in our obedience and our love and our repentance that shows truly how we have responded to the light. And the passage quite simply says this, that if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Well, let's take a look at my first point, that this radical light must change the way we live, must give radical obedience. Look at 1 John 1, 5. It says, This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. Now, this is really interesting, isn't it? Because this is what they say. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you, that God is light. You know, I'm kind of scratching my head going, that's the message? I mean, as I read the Gospels, I could probably come up with 50 better ways, I think, to surmise what Jesus Christ is saying. And yet their message they're saying is that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. The reason that John, the Apostle, is saying that is because it sums up who Jesus is. It sums up who God is. The first point is that He's holy. He's holy. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He's a holy God, and so He brings light. Remember when Moses would go to meet with God, and he'd come back, and no one could look at his face because it was shining, it was radiant. One of the great things about my job every now and then is getting to marry people. You know, and everybody comes out, and then the doors open, and there's the bride, dressed in white. You know, what's the thing you say to a bride? You look radiant. Because the light coming off of you, it's beautiful, it's holy. This is who God is. He is light in Him. There is no darkness at all. But God is not only holy, He's life itself. Remember Genesis 1, 1 and 2? The earth was formless and darkness hovered over the deep. And God spoke and said, let there be light. And there was light, and it was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And there was the first day. See, it was light that made life possible. The foundation of all things. Science would even agree with that. 
either the Big Bang or what we call photosynthesis. You know what is photosynthesis? It's light brings together, brings life. The foundation, if there was no light, there would be no plants. If there was no plants, there would be no animals, and so on and so on. God is life. He speaks, and it comes to pass. God is light. So light sums up what He is, but it also sums up what He does. How did God deliver this message to us that God is light? He delivered it through a person. So He sent Jesus not only to describe light, but to display it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. See, John is trying to say something more about Jesus than simply that he is light. It's what he's come to do. Think about the first part of John, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. It parallels Genesis. In the beginning, God spoke and let there be light. You know, in the book of John, there are actually seven days in the first two chapters. The first day and the second day. Jesus makes seven I am statements. He gives seven signs of who he is in the book of John. What's he doing? See, as God has created in seven days, so this new light has come to recreate in seven days. With the coming of Jesus, we see no different than the rebirth of creation itself. The light that gives life to every man has come. God is light. And we have seen this light in the face of Jesus. Indeed, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, in the original creation, God came to bring life from the outside in. But Jesus, the recreator, has come to bring life from the inside out. Isn't that one of the reasons why we have that phrase when someone comes to faith, I see the light. I'm being awakened from within. Jesus has come to renew and recreate us, the new creation. He's come to bring us life, and He's come to bring us relationship with Him. You know, where was that first relationship between God and man? Was it not in the garden as they walked together? You know, people who say that, oh, God just kind of wound up His universe and left, it's not biblical. They walked together in fellowship. And so it's no surprise that when Adam and Eve sinned, they were repelled and thrown out of the garden. Well, what was the first place that humanity met the resurrected Christ? In the garden. We see the picture of the garden all the way to the end in Revelation. The beautiful city of God with the garden right in the middle of it. See, God's plan in Jesus Christ has been to give us a new life and a new fellowship with Him. If we say we have fellowship with Him, while we walk in darkness, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. See, there are two incompatible ways of life, is what John is saying. If we say we have fellowship, but we walk in darkness, we're lying. We're lying because these two are incompatible. Light and life and sin and darkness are on two opposite sides of the spectrum. This is what it says, if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we deceive ourselves. 
word walk is an interesting one. You know, we usually drive, we don't walk. But back then, you walked when you were doing things. And in the Greek, the way this tense is, it's called a present active indicative verb tense and mood. Okay, present active, think about that. What, what he's saying is, if we say we have fellowship, and while we walk in darkness, meaning our walk is present, it's active, and it's indicative of who we are. Meaning, if I look at my life and it shows my walking in darkness, I'm lying. I'm lying to you. You know, it's easy to do that in church, isn't it? You come, you put on the outfit, you come, you sit, you know, you have the whole deal. But at the end, it's just a lie. You know, the worst kind of deception is the lies that we have for ourselves. Wow, yeah, I think I have, you know, I've done it. But when I examine my life, there's two opposite ends of the spectrum. We were, uh, recently my wife was in the, uh, our, our office, she was meeting with a gal, and uh, lo and behold, this gal that she was meeting with started screaming and jumping onto the sofa. Oh, that's some strange advice my wife was obviously giving her. But no, a, a lizard had crawled in under the door. You know, and there's like lizards, and then there's lizards, and then there's lizards. Okay, it wasn't a lizard, like a Komodo dragon, but it was like a substantial lizard comes crawling in. Like, what, what are you, what's happening here? Well, the sash, which was supposed to protect things from coming in, there was a gap there. Everything the sash was supposed to do, it wasn't doing. So finally, you know, we had to get someone out there and take a look at this thing. So a guy came out and he looked at the sash and he picked up the sash and there was nothing underneath it all the way to the ground. All the wood had just rotted through, brain damage again and again and again. See, the picture on the outside looked pretty good, but it was failing because ultimately what it was demonstrating and showing was what nature was. Do we claim a fellowship with God, and yet we walk in darkness, we deceive ourselves, and we deceive the world. You know, do you think Satan thinks he's in the wrong, by the way? No. I've never met a bad person that didn't say, you know what, it's everybody else. I do the same thing, don't I? Gosh, if everybody was like me, this world would be a better place. We deceive ourselves. We think we're in the right. But we have to examine our lives. And so this is my first point of application. A radical light demands radical obedience. We must examine our lives. I want to make sure you understand this, that how we live is not the cause of our relationship with God, it's the result of it. A sash acts like a sash because it is a sash. A Christian who loves Christ acts like a Christian who loves Christ because they're a Christian. But we must examine our lives. So question number one, how's your walk? How's the fruit that's bearing forth in your life? God's clearly not saying you have to be perfect. We're going to touch on that in a little bit. But we're talking about present and active indicative. Is there a consistency in my life that as I grow and I walk in my faith, I'm producing this fruit, this obedience? We must analyze ourselves. Keep a journal. Take a look at how I live today. Does it reflect the walk of a person who loves Christ or one who doesn't? Ask others that you trust. Take a look into my life. What do you see? Help me to see myself because sometimes I can't. Finally, look into the right mirror. 
I love Snow White. You know, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? I bet I could find a mirror that made me look good. If I looked far and hard enough. But the scriptures say to look deeply into the Word of God. Because the Word of God looks back at us and He shows no favor. He tells us the truth. So we must examine our walk. But we also must do this. Examine our relationship with Christ. How is your relationship with Christ? When it's just you and Him, and you guys are alone, do you sense His presence? Is there a longing in your heart for His company? Is there an openness to meet with Him? Or is there a hiding? Is there a tamping down? Is there a confidentiality? Do you seek Him and desire Him at all? If there is a hunger, a desire for Christ, that's a very good sign that Christ is at work in your life. See, that's the thing about babies. They always want to eat. If a baby doesn't want to grow, want to eat, there's a problem. It's either sick or it's dead. A radical light demands a radical obedience. And so we must renounce the darkness in our lives after we look at our lives. We must call off that relationship. We may have to change that business partner. We may have to pay back what we took. We may have to stop slandering and apologize. We may have to totally revamp our life to be in line with walking in the light. Because a radical light demands radical obedience. Hear the words from Galatians 6, 8, the one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. If we want to experience the radical light and walk in it, we must have radical obedience. This brings me to my second point. A radical light must bring radical love. Look at verse 7. But, if we walk in the light, so we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, but, if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sins. Now these are, whenever you're looking at the Bible, you always want to look for if-then statements. Because that's what you've got right here. If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, then. And so we see that there is a cause and effect to how we live. I want to talk about the cause, then I want to talk about the two effects. If we walk in the light, as how? As He is in the light. The manner in which we are to walk has already been shown to us in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, how did Jesus walk in the light? It's miraculous to see Him, you know? They say that there wasn't anything in particular different about how He looked. Couldn't have picked Him out of a crowd. And yet the way He walked was in such a way that the way He spoke and the things He did literally brought thousands of people who followed him. They were so fascinated with this person. And it was because he walked in the light. First of all, he walked in the light of his father. He acknowledged his father's place. He didn't love the limelight, did he? He loved his father's light. And so he would say things like, I always please my father. I always do what my Father tells me to do. I want to glorify and honor the Father. The first way to walk into the light is to acknowledge the light. Acknowledge the Father. Acknowledge Christ. 
he also acknowledged God's commands. God's commands. Remember him in the uh, when uh, Satan tempts him. Tell you what, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread, and then you'll have all the food you want. Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Whoa, 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 wait a second. Look, I have all the kingdoms in the world, and I will give them to you if you will only worship me. Jesus, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. See, to walk into the light is to not only acknowledge the Father's place, but to acknowledge his commands. These are the commands in my life, and I will stick to them no matter what. Even to death is how Jesus showed us to walk. He acknowledged his Father's place, he acknowledged his Father's commands, and he acknowledged his Father's power. There's some things that Jesus said that, frankly, don't make any sense. You know, Jesus would say things like, uh, I can only do what I see my Father do, and I can't do anything else. You ever heard a grown man ever say that? I mean, a, a five-year-old, all right, but a grown man saying, I can't do anything, I can only do what my Father is doing. He was so dependent upon his father's strength that he literally was one of the most powerless people in the world aside from his father. Indeed, when his father abandoned him, it was to death. See, he acknowledged power was from his father who had given him the responsibility to walk. And he had to walk in dependence on his heavenly father. See, if we walk in the light, it means to walk in acknowledging his place. It means to walk in acknowledging his commands. And it means to walk in acknowledging his power. If we walk, present, active, indicative, in the light, as he is in the light, two causes occur. Number one, we have fellowship with one another. What a beautiful picture. How come the world can't figure out how to get along? Quite simple. We don't all have the same father. We don't all follow the same commands. We don't all live by the same power. But Jesus says, John says, if you walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. What does that really mean? This is Jesus' definition of fellowship. John 17, as he speaks to his father. I am no longer in the world, but they are in this world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. I do not ask for these only, but those who will believe after me, that they would all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they may be one in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent them. The fellowship that God is talking about is no less than the relationship, the intimacy between Jesus and the Father himself. Think about that. It's astoundingly intimate. That's astoundingly... I don't even have the words to say it. If this is the type of community that God is calling us to become, it's no less than a, a radical changing of everything that the world understands about relationships. A radical life. Light calls for radical love. And what Jesus is saying is, if we walk in this way, we have fellowship with one another. We can begin to have these type of relationships of intimacy and openness and oneness. I love Jesus' relationship with His Father, the, the deference that they had for one another. 
I want to love and glorify you, Father. I love and am well pleased with you, Son. I want to bring you again and again such a, a beautiful gifting of care and concern for the other person's reputation and honor. This is the picture of the church. As Jesus is recreating the world from the inside out, He's recreating relationships from the inside out, starting with the church. We are a picture of God's recreation beginning and unfolding in this world. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. We have peace with God. We have calm with God. We understand that He cares for us. That He loves, for, loves us. That He will not abandon us. That He forgives us of our sins. Of selfishness and anger and bitterness. He's renewing our relationship with Him. And He's renewing our relationship with each other. How do we know that this is happening? Because we're walking in the light. How do we walk in the light? I think the one thing I wanted to touch on in this passage is notice this, that he's not speaking to one person. He's speaking to all of us, isn't he? But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light. See, there's a corporate accountability, isn't it? Remember the sin of Achan? Well, we'll use Ananias and Sapphira. You know, if you've know, ever read the New Testament, you know, Book of Acts. Okay? The, the way the, the community, this church is... is Flourishing and survives, people are bringing things to the church so they can live and operate. And along come Ananias and Sapphira. And they sell a piece of land, and they give the money and say that they gave all the money to the church. Well, Peter, through the Holy Spirit, knows that that's not true. And so he asks Ananias, you know, is this all the money that you, that you gave, you know, that you sold and gave us to He says, how could you test the Holy Spirit? It was all yours in the beginning. You could have given whatever amount that you wanted to. You have not lied to man but to God. And he puts him to death right there. Not Peter. God literally kills him and then kills his wife later. Why such a penalty? Because of the grievousness of what the sins of one person can do to the entire community. To be a part of the church is to be a part of the family. We're not a country club. We're not a membership organization. We're something radically different. And we can't settle for less. But the way you live, and you live, and I live, if we are members of this church, affects one another. Were we each entitled to a private life, but we're not entitled to a secret one. We're accountable to one another. And as we walk in the light and help one another, we have fellowship with one another. And so the question I have for you, my friends, about the second point is this. Do we? Do we have fellowship with one another? I know we get together. I'm not saying we don't. I know we have friendship. I know we do grill and chills and things like that. I'm not saying that fellowship isn't fun, but it goes so much deeper than that, doesn't it? We've been privileged to be part of a family that really loves each other. Man, I, really, I don't know what your family loves. I don't know what being in that family. There's a... Is that happening in our church? You know, this just doesn't happen automatically. God's in the process of recreating. But are we growing together as a people? Is there an intimacy? Is there a phone call? How are you doing? How's life? 
when they get together. Radical obedience equals radical fellowship. And if there's not, we have to ask ourselves the question, are we walking in the light? Because it's an effect, it's not a cause. But, if we respond to this radical light with radical love, what we will discover is God gives us the power and the strength to be the people that we are as we take steps in faith with one another. Radical light calls for radical obedience. It calls for radical fellowship. And finally, it calls for radical repentance. Notice the last part. If we, have, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. You know, you can go through those first two passages and feel overwhelmed by the burden. Radical obedience? I'm just hanging on, trying to get through this out. And by the way, be very careful when you're looking at another person and their life. You don't know where they came from. You know, God is renewing us and rebuilding us. And so we must be patient and care for one another and not point the finger at one another. But if we sin, we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. What does that mean? He's saying, even in the midst, what I'm calling you to be, we must acknowledge the truth of who we are now. We're broken, desperate people in need of a Savior. If we say we have not sinned, it's the present tense, this time it's singular. It's you. It's me. In my heart of hearts. If I say I have no sin. See, if I say I walk this way in perfection, I'm lying to myself. But if I say I'm not a sinful person, I'm lying to myself. I'm a sinful person who's walking in obedience only through the blood of Jesus Christ and only through the motivation of His love. I'm a screwed up person and He's a fantastic Savior. I'm far worse than I ever think I could be, and He's far greater than I ever could imagine. That's the Gospel. So we must, uh, we deceive ourselves, but if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, if we lie to ourselves, we deceive ourselves, but if we confess our sins, love this word, confession, homologia, word, homo, together, it literally means to agree together. God, have I sinned? Yeah, you have. You and I are on the same page. I blew it, and I'm sorry. And He's on the same page with His forgiveness. See, we can't hide from God, can we? We can't hide who we are in our sin. We can't even hide from other people. The problem with Christianity, the problem with this world, is not that we aren't messed up people. It's that we don't admit it. And we don't give each other the chance. But Jesus says, admit your sins to me. Confess it. Let us agree together that this is who you are because guess what? I forgive you. And I can cleanse you from this unrighteousness. Indeed I will. My kids are at a lacrosse tournament right now, two of them. Kind of rainy. It's rainy yesterday. It's a muddy field. When they get back, guess what they're going to look like? Guess what they're going to smell like? Oh yeah, it's not good. They need some cleansing. Okay? They need to come alongside and they don't even know how to do it necessarily. They need, they'll just lay their stuff out and sort of wallow in their filth on the sofa watching TV. 
gotta do. Put your gear here, go do this, go do this. See, that's what it means. God, take a look at me and all my honesty. Kids don't go, well, I'm not dirty. I'm clean, look at me. I played a flawless match. It was fantastic. If we claim we have no sin, we say we deceive ourselves. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The thing is that we say we've never sinned. Friends, I, I don't want to give you a formula. I don't want to give you a tactic. And this is the way to pull this thing off. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. But what the passage is saying is that a radical life, a person has come into the world who has recreated you. You're born again and is recreating you and recreating humanity. And so we must walk in the light of who he is and who we are. We must walk in obedience. We must walk in love. And we must walk in repentance. Because when we do, we will truly see the light in God and in one another. And indeed, we will swallow. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you that when this world was shrouded in darkness, indeed, when my very heart was shrouded in darkness, you came into the darkness and you spoke and you said, let there be light. Lord, and you spoke in your word and creation, but you spoke through your cross and recreation. Lord, that you have brought light into the deepest recesses of the believer's heart. And Lord, even in this fellowship of people, of screwed up, broken, sinning people, you can bring togetherness. Lord, help us to examine our lives. Is there a radical obedience that is proportional to your radical call? Is there a radical love which demonstrates that we are your children? Is there a radical repentance, a sorrow and a suffering, even a crying over our sin? Or are we all too glib and self-assured? Lord, give, make us a broken people. Let your light shine in our eyes, uh, that we might see your forgiveness and your love, that we might look with honesty and openness at who we are, and that it wouldn't break us. Lord, rather than help us to celebrate the blessing of your forgiveness and the kindness and graciousness of your grace. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.